This is the Restless Valentine's Day Special. Well, welcome back to Restless, a postmortem on the young, restless, and reformed. Happy Valentine's Day, Pastor Michael. Happy Valentine's Day to all of our listeners. We love you guys. We love you guys. And we, we heart you. We heart you. And that's why today we are doing what we always do on Valentine's Day forever, Pastor Michael. A tradition set in stone where we listen to someone uh, from the evangelical circles talk about 1 Timothy 2. And the role of women in the church. I just think this is so funny that this became the thing that we're going to do. Because it's really, it's not like, you know, uh, hey, we're going to talk about 1 Corinthians 13 and the chapter on love. We're going to talk about marriage. It's like, no, we're going to talk about the controversial subject of what role women and men can and can't have in the church. Because that's what we do here at Restless. <laughs> that's why That's why people are here. Last, last year, we listened to Tim Keller and Don Carson have a conversation and this year, we want to help all of our listeners getting ready for their date be put in the mood, you know, <laughs> just really help them. And if you're single, you know, we love you too. Have a date night with N.T. Wright. Go buy some P.F. Chang's takeout, turn on Restless, and enjoy what we're going to do. And and I guess if you're going on a date tonight, since we are going to listen to N.T. Wright explain 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15, you can say... Man, I was listening to this great podcast today. They made this great joke. They said, today we're going to find out if it's NT right or NT wrong. <laughs> that is so bad. <laughs> I guess it fits. It fits. But that's but that's why people listen to us, uh, because it fits. And so last year we listened and kind of reflected on how oftentimes, and laughed a lot, where we got our reputation for puerile giggling and perhaps uh, having a bad tone was, in fact, from this episode. As we listen to Don Carson and Tim Keller seem a little uncomfortable answering this question. This year, we're going to listen to one of the people that I, that were always kind of outside of the YRR, but he's still one of the people on the outside that you're still allowed to say you read his books and listen to, even though we probably would have some differences with him. Well, I mean, but Andy, right, he, he was not YRR by no, no. any means, right? No, no. So, I mean, so but it's... people liked some of his books, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's, he's very popular and still is. I mean, and, you know, and he's a brilliant man. Evangelicalism, brilliant. He really is. I mean, so he's, I have read um, some from him. I've read some commentaries that I've been really helped by mm-hmm. um, some of his work. And so, so he definitely has some good work out there. Yeah. He's, he's something like if uh, Tim Keller was British and Anglican. This is who I'd expect. I be. actually think that's probably true. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a really good, I've never uh, heard it put that way, but I actually think that's probably really true. Um, he introduced me to this great Easter song, which if I find a link to, I'll put in the show notes. But we're going to listen to him discuss 1 Timothy 2 through 11. And based on what I know of N.T. Wright, this probably will not be an area of agreement between Restless. Hey, we'll find out. And N.T. Wright. Pastor Michael, just to make sure we all know what we're talking about, will you read for us the four verses that N.T. Wright will comment on? Yeah, so um, this is, uh, I'm actually going to read a few more, just because I'm a a stickler for context. Uh, But this is starting in verse 8 of chapter 2 of 1 Timothy. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, 
but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So tell us, I know we're not supposed to be looking into what you think about First Timothy 2, but tell us why you expanded out and read a little bit more than the four verses that right start with, uh, let a woman learn in all submissiveness. Yeah, I mean, it's helpful to get the broader context. So it, you know, this is not the only thing that Paul says about mm-hmm. men and women, right? Mm-hmm. Their their respective roles or the, the things that he, you know, uh, particularly commends to them. Um, it also gives a, a little bit greater context as far as uh, what exactly is going on. Um, this is, you know, the, the context really is um, having to do with the gathered church. And mm-hmm. so um, as the gathered church, what are the roles of men and women? As the, the you know, the church, as the different roles of authority or or places of leadership in the church, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. I think it gives us a little bit, uh, you know, more when you expand it that way. Now, if I could do it, we would just read the whole book, mm. but obviously that is just not something we can do here. Yeah, I mean, you have directions to women later in the book. Some some year on Good Valentine's Day, down the road as this tradition is even more entrenched, I'll ask, we'll have to ask Pastor Michael about how far beyond the gathered church these verses have implications for. Because they do, but, but we're not going to go there. <laughs> no, for now we're going to sit back and we are going to listen to N.T. Wright explain 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15. Here's the other thing, which pertains to the middle of this. I think part of the difficulty with the New Testament is we don't actually know with a lot of these documents where they were written to, but there is some good evidence for suggesting that 1 Timothy is written to the church or to somebody who's in Ephesus. In Ephesus, there is one big temple, which you can still see the ruins of today, which is the temple of of Diana or Artemis in in Greek. And the thing about the cult of Artemis is that it was a female-only cult. It was a female goddess, they had female priestesses. And though there were other, plenty of other religions in Ephesus, it was a great metropolis, this was the big one, the big local civic religion was one in which women were the key leaders. Now, what's going to happen when a little group discover Jesus and discover that there's, hey, this whole new thing going on which people are calling the way or following the Messiah or whatever it is? One of the most natural things would be, since men and women are drawn into this, for people to assume locally that the women should take over the leadership. Let's pause it for a second. So, I don't know how much N.T. Wright is going to assume N.T. Wright started by saying one of the difficulties of interpreting the New Testament is knowing where letters were written to, uh, which is a very academic take on the New Testament, right? This is the kind of thing that um, the smart people like him, they talk a lot about and don't like to agree on. He then says, let me venture the most likely suggestion. And it seems like his whole interpretation of this section of scripture is going to be based on a historical fact that he thinks may be true and is not directly derived in, from the text. Yeah, no, so that is common, <laughs> shall yep. we say. Um, so I've been in situations, uh, quite literally, where I'm like, you know, teaching a group um, where I'm supposed to be the complementarian. Usually, like in the cases I'm thinking of, was 
the only <laughs> and uh, those with you know uh, you know more authority in the groups those who were pastors uh, were not complementarian at all were very much egalitarian and this was always their starting premise mm. um, was that uh, this there has to be some kind of issue where women are trying to take leadership in the church and that is what you know brought this about mm. now um, that's not out of the question mm-hmm. it just it never says that anywhere right. and so and it, it does not Paul is not one uh, when, you know, significant false teaching is going on in a particular way to, like, tiptoe around it, Mm. shall we say. Um, He goes pretty head on. Mm. He doesn't mind mentioning specific people. He also doesn't mind uh, mentioning the specific issues at play. Uh, And he does not do that here. He speaks right at the beginning of 1 Timothy about false teachers, but it does not say specifically that this is um, something that is particular to some women. Now, what's interesting about this take, so again, we don't know, right? So you're, you're basing everything off of something we don't know. And we'll see how much he pushes yep. it. We'll see. We actually don't know, right? You haven't watched this? I have not. Yeah, nope. so this is this is yep. fresh for all of us. Um, but also, one of the common takes in on this passage uh, today from those who are egalitarian would be to say that Paul is saying this in part because people in his day would not accept mm. Yeah women to be leaders in the same way. So it would cause controversy that he doesn't want to cause right now. But the kind of, you know, like down the line, eventually the way that, you know, the church is going to work out, eventually what Paul teaches would naturally have included women in the roles of authority in the church. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you take what N.T. Wright is saying, which is true of Ephesus, right? So whether or not that this is the exact occasion for why Paul is saying this here, um, we do know that uh, that uh, there were many priestesses mm-hmm. in Ephesus, so that like the culture would be like, "Wait, wait a minute! You know, we can't have women who lead in this, you know, religious right. organization." You can't have it both ways, is what you're saying. Right? Exactly. You can't have it both ways. Now, you can maybe make an argument that, well, in that case, it was you know they were primarily dealing with women. I don't know that that's mm-hmm. true. I don't think that's necessarily accurate. I just I'm not I'm not as aware as uh, maybe I should be on on, uh, you know, uh, the religion of Artemis. <laughs> but but uh, all that is to say that, like, the stories are usually confused, right? Mm. Like, the, the arguments are confused. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save a few of my comments about this kind of argumentation till, until we want to give him the benefit of the doubt. He might say, this is one way, and here he might cross Come on, with, NT. But let me say that if, if this is the way we're going to do this, the issue becomes... Since all of these things, right? Pastor Michael's like, I don't know how to engage with this because I don't know a lot about the Temple of Artemis right. and that religion. Right, it makes it unintelligible right. if you don't know the history. You And and this is, quite honestly, one of the things N.T. Wright does that actually is problematic. That's where these new perspective on Paul things come from, if you're of that. Let me give you one kind of weird flex. He mentioned you could go see the ruins of the Temple of Artemis today. I do not recommend it. It's a swamp with one pillar. <laughs> there are a lot of cool things in that region you You've could been see. There. You you may not uh enjoy you may not it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, but it's really not left it's not anymore. <laughs> not left to see. Um the the other thing is is Pastor Michael, this Valentine's Day, I don't want you to be lonely. You're not the only complimentarian here. And if you're a listener and you're the only complimentarian, we're with you. You know, we're with you. Don't be lonely this year in your complimentarianism. And the key word here, uh, when it says assume authority, is 
Uh, it's actually a very difficult word. There's, I think I looked it up not long ago. There's 12 different meanings in the lexicon, and they're quite significantly different meanings. But I think in the context, the most likely meaning is I'm not saying, by telling you that women have a different way of doing stuff, that actually the women have got to take over leadership here. That's not where it's at. But the point about quietness and submission I don't think refers to women being quiet and submissive in relation to men in the congregation. The word quiet is the word for leisure which comes through as somebody who has time to study. Now, you've asked me, you know, it's a complicated question, sure. so I'm, I'm going on a little bit, yes. a little bit longer. Right. So, <laughs> so, 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 all right, we're going to stop right here for, oh, for um, th and this, this is, and I'm, a, I'm, I'm not going to get mad. I'm going to be happy because it's Valentine's yeah. Day. It's Valentine's Day. It's Winsome Winter. It's Winsome we're Winter. Full of, I'm, we're full of love. I'm full of love. <laughs> and I love our listeners enough to say this is exactly how these conversations go. Assume authority. There are 12 different Greek meanings possible. Right. Like, it's, like it's not let me bring clarity to you. Let me attempt to illuminate this to you. Let me let you understand this. It's... How much smoke can I throw up in the air to make this so you, you to feel like, well, I, right? We, I guess we can't know. And this is why, probably why, complementarians in the ac academy goes, well, it has to mean something, right? That's all they want to yeah, do. Because right. they listen to people say things like this all day where it's like, well, there are 12 different possible meanings, right? If you pick up a book on this subject, and there are a few decent ones, you will see there are entire chapters written on this word because of this, yep. right? Because of this. And- and while I don't find those chapters particularly interesting, and it frustrates me that we're going to spend so long on those conversations, but it is comments like this that draw it out. Yeah, well, and one of the problems is that you can do this with every passage of the every Bible. Verse, every, every verse. Word. Every word of the Bible. You can do this with, right? That That is part of the problem, is that the minute that you start to say, well, is this, this part's going to be really unclear. Now, I'll admit that there are parts of the Bible where we have, you know, say, particular words that we're like, Okay, this isn't used anywhere else that we know of. It's not used anywhere else in the text. And the like context itself is a little bit difficult to understand. There are places like that. Yep. I don't think this is one of those places. Um, it's it's even even the fact that he can say it's used 12 other places. I'm like, oh, okay. That's, right. that's actually quite a bit, you know, yeah, for yeah. Uh, particular words. Also, the idea that, well, we'll see where he goes with this. But uh, the idea of quietness and submissiveness being something that is commended to women is consistent throughout the whole of scripture. It's consistent both implicitly in like some of the narratives and stories that are told uh, of particular women, but also it's consistent with the way that, you know, women are uh, commended to act in other places. So uh, for instance, first Peter chapter three, and I guess I didn't check the Greek on this, so maybe we'll have to check that mm -hmm. later to be sure. Uh, but it's at least contextually very similar. Uh, Peter says, uh, Do not let your adorning, speaking to women, be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. Notice how similar that is to what Paul has just said in the context that I read. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable mm. beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good 
and do not fear anything that is frightening. Notice this is a different context. It's not in the context of teaching in the church, but the same characteristics of biblical femininity are spoken of in the same way. Mm-hmm. And so, so to take this one passage in 1 Timothy outside of the context of the rest of Scripture and say, well, it's confusing, and actually what it's going to mean is that, you know, the female pastor should just study better. Right. Well, that's, no, that's not going to be the case unless you can show me how that fits with all these other so, instances. So here's how we're going to do it. So the word exercise authority, the reason this word is picked on, just so you know, is because it is what we call a hotbox. It is, it is. Okay. only used one time. And so if you look at like a Greek lexicon, typically what you see is you typically see have authority and domineer. And when a person is going to take the view he's trying, appears to be trying to take, we're going to say it means domineer, right? They should, you're, you're abusive of authority, right? It, is that the context? This word quietly I don't think we're, I don't, again, like, let me just read another place where just on the same page, you don't even need to turn your page in your Bible to 2 uh, Thessalonians 3 in 12. It says, now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. That is, again, that has nothing to do with um, leisure time, to do your work study with leisure time, yeah. with study. Um, let me look up another one. Uh, Acts 22, 2. Sorry, the reason we're, I'm doing this is I just want to, for everyone listening, demystify this. Yeah, dispel The way it. we do this a little bit. Yeah. Um, 22, 2. And when he heard, and when they heard he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became more quiet. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that, it appears <laughs> it appears that they were listening. <laughs> yes, right. They were choosing to listen to him because mm. of something they heard. Wow. Those are a few of the other uses of it. And so, right, one does, uh, and it's interesting, one kind of refers more to a demeanor, right? The Second Thessalonians verse, right? Mm-hmm. It's just kind of go about your work. Don't get in other people's way. Do what God has called you to do. And the other is literal quiet. Now... If we're to say which context is this following, we would actually say it's the Acts one because we're talking about something that's happening in a group, right? Group, we would gathered say, group, yep. Um, and and so I think now, but obviously there is a demeanor, right? We have submissiveness and quietness. So and so, yeah. There again, what drives me crazy is that what we're doing is we are doing the let's make it less clear. Yep. And so let's see where it goes. But think about Mary and Martha in Luke 10. Um, Okay, before he says anything about them, literally think. You can pause this podcast, read Mary and Martha in Luke 10, think about what it teaches, and then come back and we'll see if you think, if you get anything close to what he's about to say. You might. Again, I haven't listened to this. We literally don't know. We're just reacting live. Mary notoriously, is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha is busy in the kitchen and gets cross. Yes. Our normal picture of that in the modern Western world is Mary sitting there dewy-eyed, gazing up in raptures at this wonderful teacher. And there may be a frisson of that as well, that Martha would actually like to be doing that and she doesn't feel she's able to, whatever. But to sit at the feet of a teacher, think of Paul sitting at the feet of Gamaliel. Paul wasn't gazing up dewy-eyed at Gamaliel. Paul was learning how to be a Torah scholar so that he could be a teacher. Mary has, as it were, invaded 
the male space in the house, which is where the disciples are learning from the teacher, and disciples learn from a teacher in order to be teachers themselves, and Jesus says, she belongs here. So all the, <laughs> right, so, so there, yeah. So was I, the, when you read the passage, listener, was the point of what Jesus said, Mary chose the right place because she chose to be in the place where she will become a teacher? Is that the better thing Mary chose between Mary and Martha? I wonder why Jesus didn't choose her as one of his 12 disciples if she is such right, an if that exemplar. Is, this is where, like, you have to, it's, you have to, to throw up that smoke screen, right? Hey, this is really confusing and difficult. And then you give these, like, you weave together this a narrative. That is, like, you have to pull these things out of the actual context and weave them together as if all together they kind of fit. Oh, look at this. Like, right. look at, uh, but even if you can argue that Jesus was doing that, you have to at least admit then that Jesus did it in a really underhanded way. Right. Which I don't think that we should say of him. You know, right. like, like he, Jesus had no problem speaking to these things, right? He had no problem. Uh, and this too, Paul, like, like Jesus and Paul and Peter, like we often talk about them like, man, they were just like, they were tied down by all that like cultural weight. They couldn't right. say anything different. What are you talking about? Right. You know, like these people who were literally uh, killed <laughs> or right. attempted to be killed uh, for uh, what it is that they believed. Yeah. Let me weave a different story. Um, Martha is a woman who who feels the need to serve, who feels the need to um, work and serve and, and, and potentially even in a way that other people notice. But Mary chose to learn quietly from Jesus. And because learning from Jesus is better than any potential service you might get, she chose the better thing. I'm just saying that anyone can play this, let's weave a story together. Let's, yeah. let's create a story so together. So what story do we want to see? We want the one that fits the context, yes. both of the individual passage as well as the overall That's right. treatment of Scripture. And... and you, if you're going to bring in the story of Mary and Martha, right? The 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 issue with saying Mary, this story is about Mary invading a male space. Is the comparison is between Mary and Martha, not between like Mary and the disciples, right? They're there, yeah. we assume. Yeah. But the comparison is again. This is you need to tell me why. And again, sorry, Arminians, this is also what you do. Like you need to tell me why to understand like us walking through John six, where Jesus is describing that like. Uh, you know, the one who the father sends to me, I will not cast out and I will raise him up on the last day. You need to tell me why we need to like flip to different books where it's like, and God wills no one to perish, right? right. Like in you, order to understand, say, right. You yep. need to tell me why we have to switch from this to a whole nother, right? First we had to go to the history, which you haven't really told me why we needed. Now you're telling me we need to think about Mary and Martha invading a male space. Right, even that, like that language. I know. Do you think that Mary... <laughs> Right, someone who like went out of her way to serve Christ would have thought of herself as doing that. I have my doubts. I have my <laughs> Let's doubts. put it that way. That's one of the most yes. explosive little scenes in Luke's gospel. So I, the way I forget the exact words I use in my translation, but I think he's saying women have to be given as the men might not want to give them 
the leisure to study submissively, submissively in the sense of they've got to learn from God like the rest of us. But, but, but NT, I thought the women in Ephesus were the priestesses of a cult and were in charge of society. And that the men were cool with that. That actually sounds a little bit more like the society we live in today. Right. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> a, little, a, little, a little bit like you're reading today. A little less them. like... A little less like there are men who wouldn't let the women learn, if if that is the context. Now, certainly there are, if if you are in a society where women are, again, many uh, Muslim cultures are this way, where women, like, considering the things of the Quran are not really, like, things that are, valu are, like, are valuable to them. To that culture, yeah, women should learn. Let them, they, yep. bring them here to learn. Right. They, as we always say, women need a pastor too. Your, the women in the church need to be pastored and taught just like the men. But, but is that, again, it's this weird, like, well, what the men don't want in the church. Well, I thought what everyone wanted in this culture was women leading, but. And that then she must have the leisure to do that. But I'm not saying that the women have got to take over the leadership. Again, the leisure is quietly, which we've already read because right. we're not like the cult of Artemis down the road. Now, that doesn't solve all the problems in this passage. I have written about this in various yes. places, but I think that's at the heart of it, that he's wrestling with this very difficult issue, which we still have. Please, listener, comment to us, has he solved a single issue in understanding this passage? Now, I'm intrigued to where he's going, because <laughs> it, it, it sounds to me like he's saying, uh, oh. so they, they need to be uh, allowed to learn quietly, but not to be the ones who are teaching. Well, he said not to assume authority or whatever yeah. he's been saying. So maybe maybe he'll change that. But Of men tending to fall into the stereotypes and women tending to fall into the stereotypes, saying, no, we've got different ways of doing being male and being female. But, I mean, you are still male and you are still female. Cancelled. Yes. <laughs> I know. To move from where we are. N.T. Wright, when this was posted in 2016, we're sorry. Cancelled. Yeah. Absolutely cancelled. <laughs> I'll meet you in the gulag and we can talk about this there towards where we need to get with appropriate male and female leadership. So th that's that's how I have taken this passage. I, there's, I know there's half sure. a dozen other issues in there which we could look at. Sure, as well, but, but uh, what's interesting though, Tom, is that for most of us, we would read, read our Bibles, we'd read it like the way that I had read yep, it yep, yep. and understand it in a particular way. Mm -hmm, You've mm -hmm. now just given a completely different understanding to it. That guy means... A person reading this passage would assume Paul is forbidding women to teach or have authority in the church. Rather than priestesses in the temple of Artemis <laughs> should learn quietly. Let and... them have free time to learn <laughs> and give the, make sure you're providing that. And I know the men don't want it. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know where he's going to go, but I think it's time for me to to spring the uh, what we might call the the payoff to this. Okay, so okay, so he's saying we need to give this instruction because women are the priestesses at Artemis' temple or because the men don't let women learn because they're patriarchal, mean people. What does Paul say, again, in verse 16? Why does Paul say these instructions are essential? He says... Oh, oh sorry, I'm looking at... Um, not 16. Verse 13. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. 
and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So Paul doesn't say because of what's happening in Artemis yep. at the temple in Artemis, because the men are um, do not have the correct views of women, no. but because of how create God made men male and female. Yeah. So the order of creation, the order of the fall. That is why. That's why. That is why. So not just sin, but creation. And it also, again, because I read the context, like, remember, this is not, it's not just these things. Like, right. there, there is more to this. There's right? more to the order of creation than just yeah. who is talking on Sunday. But that is part of it. And so when we talk about even this idea of being male and female, new ways to be it, what well, again, the, we are, let us quote good Herman Bovink, grace restores nature in the church the nature that God gave men and women is not being destroyed or um, redone. It, it is being renewed because it's being restored. What God is doing when he talks about, when Jesus addresses women the way he does, when he treats them in ways that may not have been culturally acceptable, I think of the uh, woman at the well, these kinds of things. Jesus is restoring the way men and women were meant to relate, how marriages were meant to function, how society was meant to function, but didn't because of the fall. He's, we're not, grace is not destroying nature or going beyond it. It's restoring it to as it was meant to be. So for most of us, we're reading scripture and interpreting it ourselves yeah, 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 yeah. and in we, interpreting it wrongly. Well, we all have to go through this. And this is why the task of both historical scholarship and translation has to go on because every generation will have blind spots and it's the task of the next generation um, to say, oh, pity about that, right, now we're going to do some more work on this. And, you know, some archaeologists have dug up some new manuscripts with different uses of that word. Hey, well, maybe that means this now. And one of the joys of being a biblical scholar is watching that going on. Sure. Whether or not you're doing that particular bit yourself, somebody publishes an article. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hilarious to hear whatever, like... People always do this, right? Like, they're like, uh, you know, well, we're catching the blind spots of those who have been before us, right? And right. understanding this passage. It just happens to line up exactly with today's, like, secular progressive elite, like, take, you know? That's right. It just happens to be in the way that will make it easier for me to be a Christian around <laughs> the people with power and influence. That's right. <laughs> if, if you were promoting this take in, like, the year 1000... Good for you. Like, <laughs> if you were a person fighting against Rome's only male priests in, like, the first, when it was a world power and they had the power to burn you at the stake, but you were like, no, this means we must let women le learn in leisure. leisure. <laughs> like, I I would, I'd be like, well, you must really think that. <laughs> it, yeah, you'd believe it, right? Like, you really believe this. Yeah. yeah. And suddenly scales fall from your eyes, and that's what Isaiah was getting at in chapter 11, or whatever it is. You know. So what about the last bit of that, that women are going to... Be saved through childbearing. Yeah. Um, well, that, well, that's does that mean every, every woman has to have a baby? Wouldn't that be uh, interesting? No. Um, no. Uh, cl clearly not. Wouldn't that be interesting? Wouldn't it be interesting if there was anyone who had that opinion? <laughs> like, <laughs> right, you know? right, yeah. Like, how silly. And we didn't read that, by yeah. the way, verse 15, because it just... It just throws a little bit of a wrench in things because uh -huh. it is a difficult passage to understand. I think that there are plenty of good interpretations of it, yep. um, and it fits well the context. That's yes. the other thing. Um, however, uh, we didn't get deeply into it, so it'll be interesting to see what he says. Maybe uh, for our patrons, 
Uh, we will have a discussion of the most common interpretations of that verse. Posted. That'd be great. Yeah, that'd if be the, fun. If the patrons are interested in that, we'll do it. Otherwise, um, I did write something about those, and I can put it there for those folks. But I've also I have preached through First Timothy. It's been a little while. Um, it's been several years, but um, I have I have my own ideas anyway mm-hmm. of what this means. Yeah, but again, the again, what we have to what what's uh, what's just maddening is if you work through the passage, right, like. Right, you. No one goes up to like verse one, or well, actually, actually, people do. Um, but if you, <laughs> sorry, there's a lot. In, Academics do this to everything. Yeah, by the like, way, like the smoke right, screens I everywhere. That in every place, men should pray. Like, no one's going. What could it possibly mean yep. that they lift hands in prayer? Like, but what's really unfortunate is that when we we do come to the end of this passage, where there is a verse women shall be saved through childbearing let's just make sure we add a moment which he probably will if they continue in faith and love and holiness and self-control yeah very important yeah um but it's really unfortunate that we come to this last verse that you find divergent interpretations of throughout church history and we say well that must mean the whole passage especially those verses right above it, where there have been no divergent teachings until the last like hundred years existed, right? Yep. So because there was a lot of divergence, that means the pretty much unanimity until this point, you know, must be unclear too. They seem to have been reading Genesis 3 in a way which said that the pain that a woman has in childbearing is a sort of special curse on Eve for being the first to sin or whatever it was. By the way, uh, the pain on Eve in childbearing was a special curse on her. Yes. For the fall. <laughs> Specifically. Just, just in case you were, just in case you flipped to Genesis 3 to, to check that detail. And uh, it seems to me that what is being said here is, look, okay, she will have to bear children and that will be painful, but this doesn't mean that she's under some special curse. In and through that process, God will be at work and will rescue her and deliver. By the way, N.T. Wright, the way he just said that, makes it sound like you definitely have to have children. <laughs> like, right, yeah, he, what he just said. Yeah, yeah am I wrong? That is exactly he, um, what it sounds like. Ironically, having uh, really investigated the various views of this throughout the church, the idea that Paul is responding to a... Um, People thinking the woman is specifically cursed because of the pain of childbearing is actually not one of them. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's there are again there are multiple ways this is read. It is read through she will bring forth the seed. Uh, There's uh, taking up the role of women. There is uh, yeah there is a way we can talk about it as going through the trial. But if they continue in faith, but this idea. But again, because I would guess most of them. To come to that conclusion he's coming to, you have to know what would co- – you have to say, well, what they were teaching in that day is that women are under a special curse, less likely to be saved because of childbearing, because that's what God's curse was. So once again, here is this unknown yes. hypothesis right. at this point that you are using as the interpretive grid for the whole of the passage. And – Notice each verse we went through, we've had a different hypothesis. It's not like the temple of Diana had specific teachings about childbearing, specific teachings about women, and like that seemed to match up. 
so it breaks. It atomizes each part of this verse instead of saying, actually, this is all connected. Right. Because the, 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 the challenge of this verse, one of it is that it is hard to understand, but two is connecting it to the verses that come before, right? That Those, those are the two challenges. It is, an uncle, it is a difficult to understand verse. And two, what's difficult is then connecting it back to what you see before. Uh, I mean, it's, I think it's a much more positive thing yes. than we've... Now, and, you know, I might be wrong. And this translation might be wrong. There may be a third alternative. I'm, I'm not saying this is absolutely necessarily right. But the more I read it, the more this is where I think it is. And part of the reason I think that is because of all the other things that are said in the New Testament about women yes. who are actually in positions of leadership in the New Testament. I mean, Romans 16 is an example. Oddly, 1 Corinthians 11 is an example. The bit about women's um, headdress, headgear, We've been so bothered about the headgear that we've often ignored the fact that Paul is talking about women who are praying or prophesying in the community. So, he said, I might be wrong. I agree with him. He, <laughs> he might be wrong. Or that there's a third. I, it, it's always interesting to me the, the things that the Academy doesn't seem to be aware of. Like the ways, you know, and I know this is the, like, act, the great frustration of the guys who teach at like conservative seminaries that like the academy doesn't appear to know they exist or like are like <laughs> trying no to be idea. really rigorous and like trying yeah. to work through these things um so pastor michael women exercising th authority throughout the new testament should inform should inform this wow so um i mean it's it is not wrong that other passages in the new testament can inform what we're talking about here right but even what he mentioned right romans 16 I'm assuming that he's talking about the situation with Junia. That's my assumption. <laughs> yes, right? you are correct. So that's an. This is an unbelievably obscure passage, and you're reading that as like the again the interpretive framework. This is a why do this? Here's my question because we could go on all day about why this is problematic, but maybe just start with this. Why would somebody try to read this way? Because we don't read any other work of any kind of literature this way. We don't read novels this way. Right? We, don't, we don't read um, historical documents this way necessarily. Uh, we read them as they're written. And maybe knowing some historical context can help. Mm. But we don't uh, read things in such a way that we say, well, this is, this is not understandable. Mm -hmm. right? Right. We, like this is, this is I, I cannot possibly understand this unless this hypothetical event right. you know, took place. So... So we have, let me, let me read the two verses from Romans 16 that are informing exactly how we should read this passage. You tell me how related they are. And then I'm going to tell you about textual variants that occur here. So we have, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles and they were called in Christ before me. So Paul wants them to greet um Two people who he calls his fellow prisoners. They must have been in prison with them. They knew Christ before him. They are well known to the apostles. Some people say among. And junia uh, is a feminine ending. Though if you look in your footnotes of your Bible, it says or junius. Yep. Because we have texts that read both ways. Uh, so it feels like that's maybe not the sturdiest ground. <laughs> what? You're telling. <laughs> right. But it's, again, what we're looking. Well, the reason I'm pointing this out is. Look at what we're pointing to as like, this yep. is a clear indication. And notice, he doesn't say that, right? He just says, well, like Romans 16. Right. It sounds like, wow, there's a whole chapter about this? Yeah, exactly. No, there's not. <laughs> and the other one is, um, and this doesn't deal with teaching, but this is often brought up in the context of uh, the diaconic. 
I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the Lord um, at ooh, Senreke. I just pronounced that word wrong. Um, so the word servant, uh, and it's a female form of deaconess. And so there's debate on if that refers to right what we see in Acts 6, um, you know, or 1 Timothy 3. That one is a little more... Uh, there's more, di- there's more, like, there's at least something to discuss. The one I just read, like, hey, greet these people who were Christians before me and are known in the apostles. I don't even know what there is to discuss there. And, and, and this part of even in Corinthians, I'm sorry, these are just coming to me. Um, why does a woman have to cover her head? Who's going to pray and prophesy in the church? Why? Oh, because it's a mark of submission. It, it's literally, it's a sign of authority, Paul says. And. Notice that he says, again, we get so bogged down in this part of it. Well, that's actually probably the part that would be most helpful in understanding in a context of gathered worship, when men are praying and women are to adorn themselves in a specific way, why it is that they are supposed to learn in quietness and all submission. Like that would actually be helpful in this context. But instead what we get is for when they pray and prophesy. The, The issue is that what is at issue in First Timothy two is not women praying or prophesying. Yeah, it doesn't say that, right? So the this issue, is this the what is at issue is them teaching or exercising authority over a man. The anti right smokescreen, right? Like this yeah. is just this is and this is academies, right? Yeah. This is like it, when you read a lot of commentaries, when you interact with the academy a lot, this is they love to do this wherever the passages are maybe most confusing to our modern culture, not necessarily because they are as a text confusing, right. but because we as a culture don't get them. Yep. Um, those are usually the places where they like to be the most confusing and not give any answers. Right. And that's why so many, even conservative modern commentaries are so useless. We've said this before. Like, I want you to tell me, I want you to positively just tell me what this is about Tell me about Christ from the text and not be like, here's our 25 page excursions responding to everything N.T. Wright has ever said on this passage. You know, like, because we'll bring up this other historical context and what, you know, like. Yep, here's everything he said. And by the way, I'm not going to share what this passage actually means. Right. Well, right? we ran because out of time. I don't want Because yeah, we exactly. ran out of time on this one. And so here is the, you know, uh, the. I don't want to stick my neck out and have the possibility that, like, you know, uh, those who are. Uh, in disagreement with me are going to come after me. Right. T- teach me the word, right? That's yeah. what I enjoy reading. All right, we're about to end. L- let's just last the listen in the last 20 seconds here. In other words, these are women who are leading in part of the worship. Yes. They're not just being silent. Um, Paul's concerned that when they're praying and prophesying within the leadership of the church... We keep adding within the leadership. Just so you know, we keep having to add... You are adding words that are not there. Right. You're adding context that are not there. Pastor Michael, do women pray in each church service? Now, not I'm not saying from the front, from in a position of authority. Do women in our church pray of every course. week? I do hope they, so, right? Like, yeah. I, I, you know, like we encourage them to. We love it, actually. We, believe it or not, at our church, as fuddy-duddy and curmudgeonly and as, like, wow. horribly, you know, know, old old and traditional it is, we love <laughs> that our women pray. Wow. Wow. Radical. <laughs> they actually look like women when they're doing it. That's a very interesting That's challenge. Very interesting. And that is exactly what's at issue. What does it mean to what does pray that mean? <laughs> in accords with your gender? You are begging. That's just begging the question. That was pretty good, actually. <laughs> that was pretty good. All right. Um, well, I think that 
is did he do a better job than Tim Keller and, <laughs> and D.A. Carson in the video that we watched of them? They both I both I again I I came away with both saying this must I mean NT Wright's point is this must mean something it just <laughs> not that. Yes. D.A. Carson and Tim Keller's point is this must mean something about what women aren't allowed to do. Yeah. So they're at least like they're they know it means something in the right direction. <laughs> right. Right. And I would contend to you that if you have found some things NT Wright is helpful, which both Pastor and Michael yeah, said absolutely. there are things he's written. I have that NT are Wright on my shelf right now. Not like him personally, but some of his books. <laughs> yeah. NT Wright, love to have you on the show. I don't know what we would talk about, but it'd be a wild ride, I would guess. Uh, you could play your guitar. You like to do that. All the things he says that are helpful, I would guess he does not use this methodology to come to any of those conclusions. Yeah. Right? Like, he does not, right? He's known for... Because you couldn't. Right. He is known for his people really appreciating his discussion of the resurrection and his commentary on the Gospels. And none of them are used... None of them use this methodology. So... Pastor Michael, it's Valentine's Day. Happy Happy Valentine's happy Day, everybody. Happy Valentine's Day. I know you're in the mood now. Sit down at your date. Tell <laughs> please, your friends. Please don't bring this up with your wife <laughs> <Yeah>. tonight. Like, <laughs> just <laughs> have a good night, everybody. Enjoy your PF Changs or whatever it is you're going to do. All right. Thanks for joining us. Happy Valentine's Day. Hey, join us on Patreon. People are joining us there, and we're having a good time. 